on schoolyards and playgrounds and backyards all across America and probably around the world. There's a ritual that takes place. When there's getting ready to be a soccer match or a football game or baseball or volleyball, there's this ritual of picking teams, dividing up sides. Typically, it's the most athletic two people that get to start picking the teams. You, some of you have been here. You know what I'm talking about. And so they go through the process. And, and they begin by trying to find the biggest, fastest, strongest, most athletic people to join their team. Why? Because they want to win. And so they're picking. Now, in the process... As you know, I'm taking, I'm taking Jim, I'm taking, I'm taking Bob, I'll take Cindy, I'll take Martha. In the, in the whole process, what happens is you end up with a few people left over at the end, right? And they got to go on somebody's team. And so there's this process where you, you find, okay, well, this is not the most athletic. This is not the biggest, this isn't the fastest, but they got to be somewhere. And so you begin to take those Players that really nobody wanted, but you got to pick them. Actually, I've been on the receiving end of that. I've been on the end of the line. I've been one of the last chosen, sometimes the last chosen. Some of you have been there. You know, it's, it's not a good thing. Those who are picking teams, <laughs> they don't like to pick the last person. And nobody who's picked wants to be the last one picked, but that's... That's kind of the way it is. And, and we grew up kind of used to that. And I, and I know that, you know, we live in a society now where they don't want that kind of thing to happen, where, oh, we want everything to be fair. We want, we want there to be a level playing field. And so we'll pick, the, we'll pick the two weakest players and let them pick the teams. But what do the two weakest players do when they pick the teams? They're doing the same things that the two most athletic players are doing, right? They're still trying to pick who's going to help them win. And so there's this standard, this this template that we have on the playgrounds that says these are the ones that get picked and these are the ones that get picked over. Do we grow out of that? Not really. I mean, we're no longer on the playground, but we still have a a standard. We still have a template. These are the people we want to hang around with. These are the people that we want to associate with. These are the people that we want in our lives. And these are the people, my goodness, I want to keep those at arm's length. I, I, don't, I, I really don't want to associate with them because they don't fit my template. They don't, they don't measure up to the standards that I have set. And this morning as we open the book of James and as we begin to look together at what God's word tells us, what we're going to discover here is God actually has something to say about this. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to James chapter 2 with me this morning. James chapter 2, we're going to look at a kind of a big portion of Scripture. We're not going to take it verse by verse, but we certainly want to give it, uh, give it its due this morning. James chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And so if you'll hear the word of the Lord with me. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For example... A man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one man wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there, sit here on the floor by my footstool, 
Haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you've dishonored that poor man. Don't let the rich oppress you and drag you into courts. Don't they? And, and, and don't they, they blaspheme the noble name that was pronounced over you at your baptism? Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet fails at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment without, is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, take these words and use them in a way that you see fit today. May they challenge us or encourage us, but Lord, may they never leave us the same. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share three truths with you. And quite admittedly, there are far more than three truths here. But these three really floated to the surface as I spent some time letting these verses kind of wash over me. And the first truth is this. When you hold on to Jesus, there's some things that you have to let go. If you're going to hold on to Jesus, there's some things that you're going to have to release in your life. Because becoming a Christian, it's not like adding on. I, I, I talked about cars a little bit. I really don't know a lot about cars, but I do know that I see some people get, get a fairly nice car and they do a lot to make it nicer. You know, they may change the, the wheels. They may, uh, they may go add this or that to it. And they really try to, try to make it a, a much nicer car, a much more showy car. Jesus is not like that. It's not that we've got a nice life and Jesus is some kind of an add-on. He's some kind of attachment that's going to make it a little bit better. In fact, what we discover when we come to know Christ is there's... It, we add him, but then there begins to be a taking away. There begins to be a peeling things off of our lives that no longer seem to fit. We, we live and we've got habits and we've got some things that we do. And, and yet when we follow Christ, here's what we discover. We're really not comfortable with those anymore. And so the language that we use, the angry outbursts that we have... The way that we, our words end up cutting other people. The little white lies that we tell or the big whopper lies that we tell. The prejudices that we carry. The closer we get to Christ, the more we begin to realize that these things just don't feel like they fit anymore. We come under conviction. The Holy Spirit begins to, to work in our hearts, to begins to work in our lives. And we realize, you know what, that, that just doesn't fit. If I'm going to follow Jesus, there's some things I need to let drop away. 
The writer of Hebrews actually helps us with this. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read it, he says, Therefore, since we also have such a great crowd of, of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with perseverance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Let us lay aside every weight that would slow us down, that would keep us from pursuing Christ with all our hearts. Let us, that sin that constantly trips us up, let us cast that aside. I don't recommend this for the Olympics, although I do think it would probably increase the, uh, the, the watching of it on the television, increase the audience. Do you know when the Olympics actually started in ancient Greece? They ran naked. They did. Now, again, I'm not recommending this. But what was the purpose? I don't want anything to slow me down. I'm casting off. Now, we take a look at modern uh, swimmers. When they hop in the pool and they're, they're swimming their laps. Even the guys, man, they're shaving every hair off their body. Or they're wearing these really skin-tight fitting. Why? Because I don't want any drag. I don't want anything that's going to slow me down. We see it in every sport, even in the winter sports. Those guys that are speed skating around, they've got no wind resistance at all. I mean, they're just removing it all. And the whole point is, I know that just a little bit of drag may keep me from winning this race. And that's really what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Listen, there are things in your life that slow you down from pursuing Christ. There are things that trip you up that drag you down, their weights that you're carrying that you don't need to carry. If you want to pursue Christ, if you want to take hold of Christ, there's some things that you need to let go of in your lives. Have you ever seen a child who wants something but their hands are already full? They can't figure out what to do. You may be offering them a cookie, but they've gone outside and they've collected pine cones and rocks and sticks and their hands are full, and you're looking at it, but I've got a cookie, but I've got sticks. <laughs> Child, you don't understand. This is a cookie. It's just been baked. Let go of the sticks. Let go of the rocks. Let go of the pine cones. Take hold of the milk. Take hold of the cookie. We wonder, what's wrong with my child? Where did I go wrong? But we laugh at that. But we do the same thing. God says, I have so much more for you. I have so much I want to pour into your life. I have so much I want to give you. There's such a fullness that could be yours. But you've got to lay aside the sticks. You've got to toss away the pine cones. You've got to drop the rocks. And so let me ask you, what is it right now in your life that's keeping you from drawing near Christ, from fully taking hold of Jesus. I don't know what it is for you. Honestly, for each of us, it's probably a little bit different. There's some sins that you struggle with that someone across the room, they may not struggle with that same sin. And yet it's a very real struggle for you. 
Some of you, you come in here, and as, as James, we talked about in chapter 1, you come in here, and you can sing praises to God, and you can say, oh, abide with me, God, and, and then you go out, and, and on Monday, you're on the golf course, or you're out with your, your friends, and, and you're, you're, or somebody pulls up, you know, pulls in front of you in traffic, and the same mouth, the same tongue that you use to bless God with it, you're cursing people with it. And in Christ, we come to understand these things are getting in the way. And yeah, God can come and snatch them out of your life. He could come and rip them out of your life, do radical surgery and just remove it all. But God wants you to choose to love him and to choose to love him more. And to find your delight in him and not in trinkets and baubles. You know, it also gets in the way of our nearness in the body of Christ. There's some things that we carry, and, and maybe, maybe they were instilled in us by our parents or grandparents. Maybe they were instilled in us by where we went to school or the people we used to hang around with. We've got these ideas of what the right kind of person is like. It may be based on their skin color or the language that they speak or where they live where they came from, maybe based on the kind of job that they have or the kind of education that they have. And, and we began to, to rank people like picking teams. And the problem with that is it creates division in the church. It, it draws lines. It, it creates barriers. When we're called to be one in Christ Jesus, It the prejudices we have, the the personal preferences that we have, the attitudes that we have tend to push us apart when what God wants to do is to bring us together. God's word says that we belong to one another. Not just that we belong to him, but in Christ, we belong to one another. So what God is trying to do in us is to bring us together, but those things in our lives that, 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 that we carry can push us Apart. So what is it that you need to let go of this morning so that you can take hold of Christ and take hold of the life that Christ has for you? The second truth that I find here is that when we discriminate against people, we may be drawing lines where God has not. We may be drawing lines where God hasn't drawn lines. And and James gives us a great example here. He says, listen, let's think about somebody coming into your church. And there's some guy coming in and he's got on gold rings and he's got fine clothes. And you spot him a mile away because he looks like the kind of guy you want in your church. And so you, you drop whatever conversation you're having with your friends and you rush over to the door and, and you find this guy and you say, hey, listen, I want you to sit with me today. I sit in the best seat in the house, the back row. I, you know, I sit in the best seat in the house. I want you to sit with me today. Yeah, I normally sit with my friends, but I'll kick them out so you can sit with me. Now, why do you want that person there? Because you see that and you go, okay, there's a person that can add prestige both to me and my church. If I can get this rich person in here, we look better as a church. In fact, it actually helps our offerings. 
If we can get him in there and, and he becomes committed and he, he starts to give, then we're going to see our collections go up because I can just tell by his clothes, I can tell by his, his jewelry that this guy is a man of means. Maybe he can do me a favor. Maybe this guy, he looks like somebody who could get me on Augusta National. Better get up next to him. Better bring him in. He's the kind of guy we want in our church. But James says there's another guy that comes in, and he's a poor man. He's not wearing any fancy jewelry. He's not wearing any nice clothes. In fact, what he's wearing is dirty. Maybe the best he's got, but it's dirty. And you see him across the room, and you're going, my goodness, how did he get past security? I thought for sure Al Hawkins would have tackled him at the door. He comes into your worship service and you're kind of looking at him. Maybe the guy's got tattoos. Maybe his sleeves are ripped off his shirt. You look at him and you go, I sure hope he doesn't sit with me. And you knew you shouldn't have said that because as soon as you did it, you knew he was going to come down and try to sit next to you. And say, I'm sorry, these seats are saved. I got my friends are coming here. So he goes to sit somewhere else. Sir, you really need to maybe go out and, and maybe brush off a little bit before you come in here. Because you see, we got these nice upholstered seats, and we don't, we don't want to get our upholstery dirty. So maybe you ought to go sit over there. Or better yet, why don't you go stand? Stand in the back. And James paints this picture for us, and we look at that and we go, Oh, we would never, ever, ever do that in a thousand years. And yet we make those kind of decisions all the time. We make moral judgments of who's better and who's worse, who's worthy and who's unworthy, and who should be in and who should be out. And we make those judgments on some standard, some template, some idea that we have of what's good, bad, right, wrong. And we play favorites. We draw lines. We erect barriers based on some self-imposed, arbitrary stance, template that we've got in our minds. And when we draw these lines, we exclude, we push away. It's kind of interesting because James says, hasn't God chosen the poor? We've lost this a little bit in American Christianity. Do you realize that the vast majority of people who profess the name of Jesus Christ, we would consider to be utterly dirt poor? They live in South America and Africa and Asia. And they've got nothing. I learned this lesson when I was in seminary. The church that I attended in Arlington, Texas, had a thing called Mission Arlington. And the purpose was to go into apartment complexes all around the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex and begin to start Bible studies to try to create mission churches within these communities. 
And so Nancy and I, you know, we, we didn't have a place to serve at that point. So Nancy and I said, okay, we'll, we'll take an apartment complex. And we, there was another couple that, that helped us. And we went around every, every Saturday. We were not, and that's a huge apartment complex. We went around every Saturday. We were knocking on doors, inviting people, getting to know people, inviting them to come. What we discovered was that this was a fairly upscale apartment complex. And it was hard to find anybody home. They were either rushing off to their jobs or going off with their friends. And it was, it was hard to get anybody home. And the people we did talk to didn't really seem to be interested in trying to get together for anything. These were what the term they used to be called yuppies. You know, they didn't have any kids. They, they, had, they had income coming in and they were just living the life. But there were other people who went to apartment complexes that were pretty run down and 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 really the people were there were the the working poor who lived there and they began to go on saturdays and there were kids and they'd interact with the kids and they'd get to know the parents and the next thing you know we were seeing pictures of baptisms taking place in swimming pools and apartment managers who were inviting them to listen we'll give you an apartment if you'll come and stay and do your work here because the temperature in this complex has changed. The complexion, not racially, but the complexion has changed. There's now joy here. There's peace here. There's, there's life here where before it was just nothing. And I stood back and I looked and I said, what is the difference? Were, were Nancy and I less committed than these other people that went? And the answer is no. For many people, and again, this is not a rich versus poor kind of thing. There are many people who have means who don't see that they need Jesus. But there's so many who have very little. And when they're offered Jesus, they snatch it up like a, you know, something off a bargain table. I mean, they're, they got it. They got to have it. When we draw lines, we tend to separate. And Jesus told a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector that helps us understand this. It's in Luke chapter 18, and this is what it says. Two men went up to the temple complex in order to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. Here's his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. It was just prayer. But Jesus said the tax collector standing far off, he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but he kept beating his chest, striking his chest. And, and he said, here was his prayer. God, turn your wrath away from me, a sinner. Here's Jesus' conclusion. I'll tell you, this one went down to the, his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Two men go to the temple, but only one is right with God. And to the audience Jesus was sharing this with, they'd have been shocked at the one who was right with God. It wasn't the Pharisee. It wasn't the one that tithed. It wasn't the one that fasted. It was a tax collector who came broken and humbled into the presence of the Almighty God. 
In fact, Jesus, Jesus told the religious, religious elite this. Tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. Now, folks, this ought, to, this ought to stop us in our tracks. For those of us who think I'm somehow earning God's favor, I'm getting God on my side by tithing or by showing up on Sunday morning or by doing this or, or doing that, somehow I'm the, I'm, I become the Pharisee in the story and God owes me something. We need to really be careful. That we're not the ones saying to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. Whomever those other people might be. Because we all come to Christ the exact same way. As dirty sinners in need of a Savior. And in Christ we're one. That's what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3. There, listen, in the kingdom, in the church, there's no Jew or Greek. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. For we are all what? One. In Christ Jesus. All those things that we thought were important distinctives, they're just washed completely away. Because in Christ, we are all one. We come the same way and we have the same inheritance. Let me share with you the third truth, and then we're going we're gonna to move on. And the third truth is this. Those who receive mercy and kindness from God are to show mercy and kindness to others. James, James gives us an interesting phrase in verse 12. He says, speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. But he doesn't define that for us. This law of freedom, because the two words don't seem to fit together. You would think law and freedom are kind of opposed to one another. But here's what he means. There's a law that brings bondage and a law that brings freedom. The Pharisees operated under the law that brings bondage. That is, I have picked out this select group. I'm not, I'm not obeying all the laws in the Old Testament because nobody can do that. And so we've picked out the most important laws. And me and my buddies, we're following these laws to the letter. Man, we, we don't stray from them. We stick to it. We get each other together and we pat each other on the back uh, because we're doing such a good job. But what happens is they're now bound up. They're in chains because what are they doing? They're trying to save themselves by obeying these laws. And then when they look at other people, they go, well, they aren't doing what we do. They're not in our group. They're unworthy. They're unclean. They're dirty. They're out. We're not picking them. They don't even realize it. But they're shackled. They're chained. They're jailed. They're bound up. There's a law that brings bondage as somehow we try to impress God, as somehow we try to earn God's favor. But there's a law that brings freedom. There's a law that sets us free. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, you were called to be free. Some of you need to hear that this morning because you've been trying so hard to impress God by your life 
Now, you keep falling flat on your face, but you haven't given up yet. You're really trying to obey these certain things that you think, that, okay, if, if I do this, then God's going to be happy with me. God's going to bless me. But you're called to be free. And then he goes on, listen, but don't use this freedom. You're free, but don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't, don't indulge the flesh just because you're free from the law. Don't go out there and just, just keep living like the devil, keep living like you used to live, but instead serve one another through love. You're free not to indulge the flesh, but you're free to love. You're free to love for the entire law, he says. The entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Jesus, the believer does not find his justification by obeying rules and regulations and laws. Why? Because if we had to do that, we'd never make it. Let me give you an example. Let's say... I, we, we, we took away everything and you only had one thing, only one law you had to obey. And if you could do this for 24 hours, you could get into heaven. Okay. Wow. Okay. Let's do it. What's the law? The golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's it. If you can do that 24 hours, you can get in. How many of us you think would get in? Mm-mm. we probably wouldn't make it an hour. Especially those of you who are married. Because what does that mean? That means I've got to take myself out of the center of this universe and I've got to put somebody else in that place and I've got to serve them and love them. And when I get home, I'm not waiting to be asked to do something. I've got my eyes open. How can I love my wife better? How can I love my husband better? How can I serve my wife better? How can I serve my husband better? We wouldn't make it a day, probably not an hour. If it's up to us, we're out of luck. That's why Jesus came. He's the fulfillment of the law. He did everything on the cross when he said, it is finished. Guess what? He was right. He'd done away with it. He's fulfilled it. He has completed it. We're no longer bound in it. And yet, he says there's a royal law. What's a royal law? A royal law is a law that is given to us by the king. And James echoes the exact same thing that Paul says and that Jesus told us. And that is... Live it out by loving your neighbor as you love yourself. We've been shown mercy. We're to show mercy. We've been forgiven. We are to forgive. In Jesus Christ, we are set free to live a different kind of life. Not bound by the laws and not bound by the expectations and the priorities and the standards that this world puts on us and so what james says is act as if you know what mercy really is act as if you know what mercy really is you've been shown mercy therefore show mercy you've been forgiven therefore forgive 
You've been included, so don't be quick to exclude. You've been accepted in spite of your sin, so accept one another even when they come with their sin. Let your life be so infused with and empowered by the royal law that you cannot help but love your neighbor as you love yourself. But he gives us a serious warning, and we need to hear this warning. Church, we need to hear this warning. If we don't show mercy to others, if compassion does not mark our lives, if we are quick to judge and to condemn, if we spend our time dividing who's in and who's out, we need to understand there's something desperately and devastatingly wrong with our souls. If that's the kind of people we are, there is something rotten in our hearts. We have placed ourselves in the role of the Pharisee who constantly looks around and says, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people. So I want to give you the unvarnished truth this morning. And here's the truth. None of us, none of us, not one of us is worthy of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. None of us. None of us deserves the grace and mercy of God. None of us. None of us has earned the right to take one step into God's glorious heaven. None of us. A holy God is fully justified. Completely justified. If he were to send every one of us into the lake of fire forever. Why? Because at heart we're all rebels. At heart, we're all lawbreakers. If you've broken one law, you're guilty of the whole thing, James says. We're all unwashed. We're all unclean. We're all spiritually dead and utterly lost apart from Jesus Christ. And your skin color doesn't give you an advantage. Doesn't matter what color your skin is. Your bank account, that doesn't move you to the front of the line. There's no concern here with social standing or titles or awards that you have earned. The things that impress us, they don't impress God. He's not blown away by it. Now, we get excited about some things. Uh, You know, we've got, you know, if you're an honor graduate, that's cool. You want to celebrate that. If you've earned a title, great. You want to celebrate that. But God's not impressed by it. Other people might be. You ever get tongue-tied and really get nervous when you're around somebody of influence? I was invited when I was in Savannah to go to a couple of uh, uh, prayer breakfasts, and, and I was up there with guys who were passing laws in Congress, and I didn't realize just how, you know, how bad all that stuff can be. But you know, I was blown away. You know, I'm up here with the Speaker of the House, and I'm sitting beside him, and I'm giving the invocation to this thing, and I'm thinking, man, I've, I'm uptown. I've made it. Next thing you know, I'll be the chaplain of the Senate or something. Guy, here, here we go. They never call me back. It didn't matter. Yeah, good thing, right? The truth of the matter is, all those things that we say, these are the important things. and these, these, It's like picking teams. 
I'll take that one because he's the biggest. I'll take her because she's the fastest. All those things that we tend to put up here at the top, God says, none of that stuff matters. These are arbitrary categories. These are just ways you choose to divide people up. The only thing that matters, the only thing that matters, the only line that matters is those who follow Jesus and those who don't. That's it. And the good thing about it is our call, our call is to bring as many who are on the other side of the line to this side as we possibly can. That's our call. We're not trying to get rid of them. We're not trying to push them away. We're not trying to keep them out. We're like, come on. We got plenty of room. Bring it on. You belong. You can be here. You smell. That's okay. You're dirty. That's fine. You were a prostitute. Bring it on. You were a drunk. Come on. We don't care. You just got out of jail. This is the place for you. That's a weird church. But that is the church. So we God designed it to be. We're not the ones that get to pick. We're not the ones that get to draw the lines. We don't get to play favorites. But I've got some good news for you. God does play favorites. And you're one of them. If you're in Christ, you're one of God's favorites. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Colossians 3.12 says you're a chosen people. God picked you for his team. You're chosen. You're standing there. You're fat. You're slow. You're ugly. God said, I want that one. I want that one on my team. You're chosen. I don't know if that, does that not light your candle? Does that, does it not fill you with some sense of, man, this, this is awesome. I can go away from this place with a completely different attitude about myself. Because the person I see in the mirror and the person I used to be, that's not who God sees. God sees the person I am in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4 says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God was picking teams way before you got here. He knows what he's doing. And then I love this. Jesus promised this. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me so that where, that where I am, there you may be too. In other words, He's not just picking teams for this earth. He's picking teams for eternity. And he chooses you. The question I have for you this morning is, are you willing to choose him? You see, you have to step across the line. You have to come and join the team. Are you willing to come? It's not that you're a bad person, worse than anybody else if you don't. God says, I choose you. And he calls you to choose him. Some of you need to do that this morning. There are others of you who are sitting out here and you recognize that you're the one that's been picking teams. You're the one that's been drawing lines. You're the one that says, this one's in, this one's out. You're the guy that James was talking about. You're the lady that James was talking about who stands out in the gathering space and evaluates those who walk in. Should I go speak to that person? Well, they look like they bathed. 
They're dressed fairly nice. Yep, I'll go talk to that one. That one there, I don't know them. Their skin color is different than I mine. They got this tattoo right in the middle of their forehead. I don't understand that. I'm staying away from that. We don't get to make the call. We don't get to draw the lines. We don't get to make the team. You know what we're called to do? We're called to go out and declare whosoever will may come. And so this morning, I place this invitation before you. If you need Jesus, if you know that God is choosing you and calling you, you come. We want to celebrate with you this morning. We want to welcome you to the team. If you've been the one who stood in and played referee and drew lines and picked this and that, and and you need to repent this morning, this is your time. If you're here this morning, you said, and you're saying, I never knew church could be like that. And I want to be part of it. Then you can come and be part of it. We'd love to have you. Whatever it is that God's leading you to do this morning, this is your time. Would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, move in us in this time. Move in this place in this time. Drawing people to yourself for your glory. Make us the church you want us to be. And thank you, God, for choosing us in Jesus. For we pray this in his powerful, good, and holy name. Amen. You respond as the Lord leads.